I don't know if you remember our sermon from last September 11, 2022. It was quite a while ago already, almost four months. It was our opening sermon of this new year in which we find ourselves just as people in our lives, but also as Trinity Church. And we talked a little bit about um, just this coming year as a congregation. What's it going to be like for us? Some things we're doing to just try to um, see in what direction God might be calling us in this coming year. And you remember that I referred to the explorers who you all know, uh, Lewis and Clark. Meriwether Lewis and William Clark who went on a trip uh, set off by President Thomas Jefferson between May of 1804 and September of, of 1806, so about 19 to 20 months, something like that. And they were commissioned Jefferson to go from the East Coast across the United States to the West, across the Rocky Mountains, and then end up at the other side in the Pacific Ocean. Their purpose was to explore and to map to find a route across the continent that would allow for good travel and trade because economics, of course, was very important. And then there were, of course, some scientific, they were to look for the flora and fauna and the animals and and other nature things that they were supposed to find um, along the way. They called themselves the Corps of Discovery. They were about 40 to 45 men. There was one woman that went with them and you probably remember also the Native American lady, Saka Joey. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but she was obviously with them also. They went up um, the uh, Missouri River, and they had boats. And they got all the way to the head source of the Missouri River. They got there actually on August 12 of 1805, the fountain waters of the Missouri River. Um, I don't know if you remember this. They uh, then went to a place that was called, now called, I don't know if it was called that then, the Lemhi Pass. And this was the very, like the Continental Divide, they were supposed to see on the other side, then this river going down to the Pacific Ocean. And what they saw was, and I'm quoting from their diaries, an immense ranges of high mountains still to the west of us with their tops partially covered with snow. They were expecting to be able to get to this pass, bring their boats, jump in their boats, and sail now downstream all the way to the Pacific Ocean. And instead, this is what they saw. Mile after mile after mile after mile of high ground and mountains. Mountains which none of them had really ever seen before. What Lewis and Clark discovered was that 300 years of experts predicting what would lie on, the, on, the, on this other side of this, of this continental divide had been wrong. There was not a navigable river down to the Pacific Ocean, but the Rocky Mountains. There was no Northwest Passage. The driving assumption of the brightest minds of the time were totally wrong. Their trip 
was based on a totally false expectation. They believed, like everyone else before them, that the unexplored West was exactly the same geography as the familiar East. And they had to ditch their canoes. Their canoes were no good. So they actually took them apart and built wagons from them. The tools they had to fit the paradigm they were working from didn't work. It was now another paradigm, and so the tools they had did not work. And at that time, on September 11, I suggested, and I don't think I was wrong, that all of us today, and especially at the beginning of this new year, are somewhat in that kind of uncharted territory. The world that's in front of us doesn't look very much like the world that most of us were raised, born into, uh, raised, grew up in, and, and have lived in. And it's not as abrupt of change as with these men. I mean, it's been going on for a while. But the paradigms, the ways of thinking about our lives personally, we as a society, and particularly, and this was the point, of course, for Trinity, the future is not what it was. Paradigms are shifting. They will be shifting. And they will be shifting dramatically. And that requires a change in tools. What are we going to do with these boats that we have that are now no good? And this takes an enormous risk. This, 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 is, this is not an easy thing to look at or to say. In fact, what may be the hardest thing to say as we look ahead is, I don't know. I have no idea. Or we have no idea. And maybe no one knows. We're just moving ahead. With this, when we think of our families, our personal lives, but now think particularly of this, this group of people called Trinity Church. We're just kind of moving ahead. And, and, and I don't think, I haven't heard yet, that there's anyone among us who kind of knows what our future is going to be like. And so we talked about back in September, this searching for a common sense of calling. What's pulling us together? What, what kind of a calling do we sense coming from God, coming from ourselves, coming from our community? And what might that say? about what our future should look like and the tools that we should use as we go into the future. You may also remember that after I gave that introduction of Lewis and Clark, and uh, you're probably thinking he's just taking his old sermon from September 11 and reusing it because that's easy. That's sort of true. <laughs> it is Christmas and New Year after all. But we talked about the church in the first years after Christ's ascension, 
making this move from being a purely Jewish community to then becoming open to the non-Jews, what we call the Gentiles, who, who were not Jewish. They were Greeks and they were Romans and they were people from all over the known world at that time with all of their different customs and habits and cultures, many of them which were abhorrent to the Jewish people. And these people were now coming into the church. And this was a moment comparable to that of Lewis and Clark. So remember, Jesus was a Jew firmly and rooted in Jewish, rooted in Jewish culture. The early church were, was composed of Jews all firmly rooted in Jewish culture. They were not going to change that, although they were now believers in Christ. But all of a sudden, God started sending these people in from different cultures and different religious backgrounds. And it caused a tremendous amount of friction and was comparable to Lewis and Clark in the sense of all the rules that we used to know don't count anymore. If there's one thing that we Jewish people hate more than anything else, it's idols. And all the Gentiles in all of the cities around the Mediterranean at that time would go to the market and purchase for their evening meal the beef that was offered to idols. And that's what they ate. How do, you, how do you bring that together? And the tools that they had, the boats that they had, didn't meet the needs of the new paradigm. So they called a council, called the Jerusalem Council. And they talked, and I'm sure they prayed, and they discussed, and they fought, and they probably argued. And everybody had their opinion. And finally, at the very end, they came to a conclusion and they said, it seemed good, maybe you remember this, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. And they made some suggestions about how they were going to move ahead with this new paradigm in which they found themselves. What happened immediately after that council? I'm not asking that because I'm expecting an answer. I'm asking that. What happened right after that? If, if you have a Bible and want to turn to it, otherwise it'll appear on the screen. Acts uh, uh, 15, verse 36. But right after this Jerusalem council, right after this watershed moment, Everything is changing. Now we have an idea of where we're going to go. This happened. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return. And, and I mean, you, you know, you know who Paul was. They had already been on, Paul had already been on one missionary journey. And it was because of that missionary journey, which had brought Gentiles into the church, that this whole council was needed. So Paul was like the instigator of all this trouble. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. Can you see what's happening here? Paul says, let's go, Barnabas. And Barnabas says, let's bring John Mark with us. 
But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had, and had not gone with them to the work. So in the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas had gone to Cyprus, and at some point this John Mark had joined them. They had worked in Cyprus for a while, and then they sailed across this little strip of water to uh, what's now the, the southern part of Turkey, what was then Asia Minor. And right there in that very first city, John Mark left them and went back to Jerusalem. We don't know why, the Bible doesn't tell us, but he left. And obviously, Paul was still mad. This guy abandoned us. He left us. How can we take him again? How can we rely on him? How can we trust him? How can we... How can we know that he's a person who will help us move into this new paradigm, this new way of thinking, this new way of being people of God? Verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement. Sharp disagreement. So they fought likely verbally. I don't think they actually went to fisticuffs. There was a sharp disagreement. Have you ever had a sharp disagreement with someone? Have you ever had a sharp disagreement with someone where you decided to part ways? You just couldn't work together anymore? Think of something like that. How hard that is and how painful that is. And so they separated from each other. Paul and Barnabas, this disagreement was so sharp that Paul and Barnabas left each other. They've been together now for a long time, maybe a couple of years. And Barnabas was known as the encourager. He was like the nicest guy in the world. And their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took Mark with him. Barnabas says, I'll show you. I'm going to take Mark. I'll show you wrong. Paul chose Silas, some other guy, and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. I found this quite encouraging. In the sense that after this milestone movement, this milestone decision, this, this, this unity in the church, right away, instantly, Conflict comes again. We're, we're just people. We're just people. We have our feet in the mud, the feet of clay. And we make mistakes and we, we do things that aren't right and we fight with each other and we have sharp disagreements. We make decisions. We separate. We go different ways. All this stuff happens. And it's, it's potential in our families, it's potential in our society, it's potential in our, in our Trinity community, wherever we are. Everything is not always peace and joy and love. And then, of course, there's this whole history of um, 
of the church that happens after that, and Paul does his missionary things, and 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 Barnabas does his missionary things, and every, everybody's going around the world, and the gospel's being preached, and churches are being planted, and somewhere in Acts it says the world of that time is being turned upside down. And then towards the very end of his life, Paul writes uh, two letters to what he called his son, his son in the faith, uh, Timothy. You've probably heard of him, a, a younger man, a much younger man, Jewish mother, Gentile father. And Paul is now old. He's probably at the end of his life. It's not exactly sure when he wrote this. He's likely been in prison already. Now he's, now he's in Ephesus. And he's writing this letter to his young protege, his, his, um, his assistant, the one that he's training to take over his work. And listen to what he says in 2 Timothy 4. Verses 6 to 21. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I'm at the end. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And now he focuses in on Timothy. And listen to what he says. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, who is in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. He says, come, I I need you here because all these other guys have left. Not necessarily bad reasons, but they've just gone. They've, they've had business, or maybe there's been sep- separation. It doesn't say. But he's there kind of by himself. Timothy, come. And then listen to this. Luke alone is with me. And here's the sentence. Get who? Mark. He's calling for Mark. And bring him with you. And here it comes. For he is very useful to me in ministry. So over these years, a couple decades, something has happened. We don't know what. The Bible doesn't tell us. Something's happened. That's changed Paul's mind from saying, I just as soon not have very much more to do with this guy. So I'm here by myself. Please come and bring John Mark because he's very useful to me. And then Paul goes on. Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. I need a cloak. I need some parchments. I need my books. I, I'm doing my study. I'm doing my writing. Alexander, the coppersmith, here's a, here's a bad dude. He did me lots of harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. 
Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. There's a, there's a, there's a note of opposition. At my first defense, which was likely a trial before one of the, one of the, um, the, the magistrates, maybe even a big one in Rome. At my first events, no one came to stand by me. You see the, feel the loneliness there? But all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through him, through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he goes on. Greet Priscilla, Priscilla, Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left. Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus, do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. Why am I reading all this? Just to show that in Paul's life and in the life of this early church and early community, there was just the most normal stuff in the world happening. I need a cloak. I need my books. I'm kind of by myself. I'm kind of lonely because this guy's gone and that guy's gone and that person's gone. And then there's this guy who opposed me, who didn't like the way I was going, and he caused me a lot of trouble. And then I got in trouble in front of the magistrate, and there was no one who stood to help me. And there's Prisca, and there's Aquila. And then there was Trophimus, who got ill. He got the flu, or got, I don't know, who knows what. So he couldn't come with me, even though I wanted him to. See, there's all this, all this life going on. Just normal life. And underneath that life and behind the scenes and through it and sometimes visible, sometimes more visible, sometimes less visible. God is working. God is moving. God is doing what he wants to do. And drawing his people together right in and through the mess of everyday life. And now we're at the first Sunday of 2023. We're four months after September 11, 2022. And I still do not have a clue what might become of us. I do not have a clue. And there are all kinds of people and all kinds of situations and all kinds of normal life going on. And yet, God is working in and through his presence in that. And then Paul concludes the letter with this verse. 
The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. The Lord, that's Jesus in the New Testament, whenever you see that word Lord, it's referring to Jesus. Jesus be with you. And that you is singular. So Paul is saying to Timothy in this case, but I think he's saying it to each one of us, the Lord be with you, whatever your name is, whatever your life situation's like, whatever you faced in the past, whatever your Lemhi past looks like, whatever your thoughts are as you look ahead and don't know if the tools that you have are going to work in the future. Paul is saying, for you, the Lord be with your spirit. The deepest roots of your soul, that place where no one else can go, that place that keeps you awake at night, that place that brings a tear to your eye, that place that gives pain in your stomach. The Lord be with your spirit. And then he says, grace is a whole nother concept. It's just this wide open outpouring of acceptance and of love and of empowering. Grace be with you. And this you is plural. You or us. Us as Trinity community. As we still, in my opinion, find ourselves on this path, we, we, we don't know what to do with these boats that we've got. And we don't know what that journey is going to be like. And Paul says to us, grace be with you. In the midst of those who may leave, those who may come, the cloak we need, the books we need, the person who got sick, the person we had a conflict with, whatever it is. Right through all of that, Paul says grace be with you, plural. So that's the message I want to give this morning, just in a nutshell. The Lord be with your spirit, you singular. As you, as you listen to this, and grace be with us, plural, as we move on into this new year. Amen.